Welcome to Catholics Across the Isle, the podcast of the Florida Conference of Catholic Bishops, offering commentary on public policy and civic life. This is Michael Sheedy, Executive Director of the Conference. Hi, I'm Michelle Taylor, the Associate Director for Communications for the Florida Conference of Catholic Bishops, and I'm joining Michael Sheedy today to discuss our duty as Catholics and citizens of our democratic nation to practice faithful citizenship. Our responsibility at the intersection of faith and politics is something that we should be aware of and engaged in year round. And maybe that's a discussion for a future podcast. But today we are less than two months from the general election in November. So questions and debate about the election are increasing. Politics is everywhere. And our focus is on preparing to cast our ballots. You could say voting is where the rubber meets the road in regards to faithful citizenship and really where it is put to the test. So to assist Catholics with what the bishops call a moral obligation to participate in political life, the U.S. bishops have issued every four years a teaching document that provides guidance and a moral framework on how best to bring the richness of our faith to the public square and most importantly, how to properly form our consciences for active political engagement. The bishops recognized that the thrust of their 2015 document and the challenges it addressed remain relevant today. So this past year, they reissued their 2015 document with a new introductory letter. The document is called Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship, a Call to Political Responsibility from the Catholic Bishops of the United States. It's an excellent resource for all Catholics, whether clergy, religious, or lay faithful. It's available on the website of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, usccb.org, um, either a PDF that you can read online or print or a bound booklet for purchase. The document's a very rich uh, text. It's about 50 pages, and there are also additional resources on the USCCB website that can be used, and they summarize some of the key points of the document. So, Michael, when we speak about formation of conscience, we know it's a lifelong task and an obligation that we should be taking very seriously. In this context of faithful citizenship, how should we understand conscience and its formation? Well, thanks, Michelle. First, I think with respect to conscience, the church certainly values conscience for everybody. Um, We can be very philosophical. We can be super reflective. Um, In fact, really, if you go to church documents, conscience is is defined as our most secret core and sanctuary, where the voice of God echoes in our hearts, summoning us to love good and to avoid evil. Do this, shun that. So um, conscience is that that deepest core where really we are responsible for, where we can connect with, with God. Um, and so we want to form that because we're not born with an already formed conscience. Uh, we're born into original sin. Uh, the world is affecting us. Conscience formation, as you said, is a lifelong process. And I would just add, you know, formation in the mind of the church is really important. Part of sacramental preparation, people are being formed as they go through religious education programs. People experience a call to, say, the priesthood or religious life. They know they're going to be entering into a process known in the church as formation. We offer some good 
adult formation as well, but it's, it's not always something that we can uh, easily enter into, but that's what we're called to, you know, an ongoing conversion, deepening of our own formation so that we have a well-formed conscience uh, as we go about our lives, as we are ultimately someday going to be responsible to God uh, for how we've lived. Um, we hopefully we're encountering a lot of God's mercy uh, as we enter into our eternal destination there. But conscience is super important. Forming that is really hugely important. Well, the bishops, I think they've been very clear for many years, for a long time, that they do not intend to tell Catholics for whom or against whom to vote um, or even offer guidance on which candidate or political party best reflects the church's moral teaching. Choices in political life rests with each individual. And as Pope Francis has said, the church is called to form consciences, not to replace them. So how is this call answered by clergy and what is their role prior to elections? Well, Michelle, um, you know, in the mind of the church, you know, the clergy have an important role. And that's to build up, to sanctify uh, the church, to, to celebrate the sacraments, to preach, proclaim, to help form consciences. And that's that's a role that's shared by you know, priests, by bishops, uh, but then it's the role then of the laity who have been formed by by this to be that transformative presence in the world. That sort of echoes back to the vision of the Church of Vatican II. Um, this document that we're referring to, Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship, also alludes to this when it quotes uh, the Holy Father, Pope Benedict, saying that the, really the direct duty for the just ordering of society is proper to the lay faithful. It's not up to the priests, not up to the bishops to be the ones who are making this happen. It's the lay people who are engaged in the life of the world in a unique way that's distinct. It's very complementary, obviously. You, know, you can't imagine the church without the clergy, and also you can't imagine the church without the laity. So they really complement one another. The bishops proclaim, the, the, the priests proclaim, they help to form people well, who then in turn go out and make these difficult decisions about voting and how to engage as faithful citizens in other ways as well. And I think another document, our election political activity guidelines, which is available on the conferences, Conference of Catholic Bishops on our website, specifically addresses endorsements um, by pastors and church leaders. They say that these must be avoided um, when acting in official capacity. No, I just would add that it, it's really, it's it's a challenging road for a lot of clergy to walk. I mean, they're in charge of really helping to form people, um, and they're also going to be voting themselves, and they're making their own evaluations. Um, but it, it's really tough, you know. I think that when people reflect on the role of a priest, it's important to remember that um, a priest, like the Lord, has to be approachable by everybody, you know. And, and I think that um, it, kind of in the church's own understanding of, of what priests are supposed to do, they need to be above identification with any particular political party. Um, and really, they need to be kind of really above it or outside that so that everybody um, is able to approach them without being inhibited. And again, like as we said, it does not fall on the shoulders of the pastors to intervene directly in these activities. That's really the role of lay people. So uh, they need to form them, um, but they've got to, to do that good work uh, to do that. But it's up to the laity to, to do it once, it once they're formed well. Um, and as uh, the late Catholic Michael, as they form their consciences and study the issues and learn how um, the issues may protect or undermine human life and dignity and 
get to know where the candidates stand on those issues. Uh, we also need to be aware of some pitfalls, right? Um, the bishops in Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship identified two temptations in public life that can distort the defense of life and dignity. What can you tell us about these and how can we avoid them? Uh, the first uh, the first pitfall is moral equivalence, trying to assume or presume that all issues are of equal importance. You know, there are some things that involve intrinsic moral evils that are really highly problematic and that cannot be supported. Um, the other is to misuse some of these necessary distinctions between issues to dismiss or to ignore other ones that are still important. I mean, the church is concerned for people from womb to tomb and at every point in between. And and we're committed to helping society to flourish. So we want to make sure that as individuals, we avoid acting like every issue is of equal importance, but also, on the other hand, making sure that we don't think that, well, some are more important than others, we can forget about the others. No, we need to be committed to, to the common good at every point. So it's a challenging, difficult walk. You know, it would be easy to kind of short circuit that process of, of working through the forming of our consciences and making these difficult decisions. But we want to avoid those two pitfalls. Right. And as you say, um, Catholics are faced with a difficult decision when entering the voting booth. Um, and I would propose that if you are engaging the bishop's call, the faithful citizenship, to its fullest extent, it should be difficult. Um, it's very rare to find a candidate that consistently promotes and advocates for all the church's concerns and priorities. Neither major political party reflects Catholic social teaching in its entirety. Blind partisanship, um, I always vote Democrat or I always vote Republican is easy, but it's not wise. I believe our Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship um, document addresses some issues that are important issues when we're considering candidates, their position on what the bishops call intrinsically evil acts. Can you tell us more about those? When, when people are looking at the positions of candidates, they need to recognize that certain issues do carry that moral weight. I alluded to it a little earlier, but there are some things that we have to focus on in. For instance, I would say that in the introductory note to forming consciences or faithful citizenship, the bishops allude to abortion as a preeminent priority. But they also go on to say that, and then they explain why, because it directly attacks life itself. And at the same time, they go on to say that we cannot dismiss or ignore other serious threats to human life and dignity. So it's tough. You know, you want to look at these intrinsic moral evils. You want to make sure that we're, we're, we're dealing with those, but we can't be indifferent to things like racism or the environment or poverty, the death penalty. Um, those are issues we have to weigh as well. So it's, it's difficult. Not all issues are created equal, but um, we need to look at the full spectrum when we do decide who we're going to vote for. So the bishops are clear that as Catholics, we are not single issue voters. A candidate's position on a single issue is not sufficient to guarantee a voter's support. Yet the bishops do go on to say that if a candidate's position on a single issue promotes an intrinsically evil act, a voter may legitimately disqualify a candidate from receiving support. Now, intrinsically evil acts are identified really throughout the Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship document. Um, 
The bishops give a course. A prime example is the intentional taking of innocent human life, as in abortion and euthanasia, or the destructive research on hum human embryos. Um, but they also go on to speak about violations of human dignity that can never be justified, such as acts of racism, treating workers as mere means to an end, or subjecting workers to subhuman living conditions, or treating the poor as disposable. I'm just gonna, I just wanna observe that this is where it really gets a little bit tricky and sticky. You know, uh, you and I get to work in this realm all the time. And uh, we do get to put out things and people do write to us. They call us, they ask questions. They might complain about something that they've heard. They might complain about something that we've, we've put out. But it's really tough. I think that we hear things from across the political spectrum, from the left, the right, um, the red, the blue, whatever. Um, and people, people are hearing different things. And I think we have to be honest with the fact that, you know, Catholics vote. And I think the partisan interests know that. And they do want to highlight different dimensions of our teaching in such a way as to prompt people to, to vote uh, for the candidates that they support. And so it's sometimes uh, the lines get blurred or people get confused about what the bishops are actually saying and how to really form conscience well. And I think, it, you know, this is one of those areas where you know, when you look at intrinsic evils, um, the bishops are clear about the fact that a Catholic cannot, in good conscience, vote for someone who supports those if their intention is to promote those intrinsic evils. Now, you know, that's that that's important because you have to share that intention. Uh, but and they do identify how it's really important to get to look at those that sort of things. They also would go on to say that because if, if you do that, you are sharing in and you and you have what they would call formal cooperation in that grave evil. But at the same time, a voter should not use a candidate's opposition to an intrinsic evil to justify indifference or inattentiveness to other issues that involve human life and dignity. And they do go on to say that there may be times when a Catholic who rejects somebody's unacceptable position on one of these issues may still choose to vote for them for a sufficiently morally grave reason. Now, they don't go into uh, a lot of explanations to what those reasons might be, but it has to be significant in order to support a candidate who, who does support something that's intrinsically evil, like abortion, as you say, assisted suicide, redefining marriage in ways that confuse and violate its essential meaning. So it's tricky. It's, it's tricky. It's, there are some pitfalls. And as you said very well, Catholics you know, should be working hard. It, it should not be easy necessarily in the current climate. So, Michael, um, that's, uh, there's a lot on the table to consider. What if no candidate on the ballot fully embraces the commitment to the life and dignity of the human person? Well, I mean, I'm going to assume that people have really assessed their positions on the range of issues to know that that's that's the case. And, um, you know, then you have to look at other other characteristics of the candidate. You have to look at their character. You have to look at their abilities to manage and guide and lead uh, a significant organization, you know, our federal government. And then they have to make the best choice. And that might just come down to who is, you know, the lesser of two evils or, or who would be, you know, less problematic when you look at, the, the whole common good and where society is and who will, you know, who might help or help it flourish the most or keep it from, from, you know, the opposite of flourishing the least. So those are points to consider, I think, if people are really struggling. 
I think people should also just be encouraged. I mean, it, it, it seems like, you know, people want to avoid some of the really deeply partisan, a lot of people do want to avoid the deeply partisan uh, divide um, or the just the polemics that go along with, with talking about politics so often. But remember that faithful citizenship does not just end in the voting booth. You know, we're all called to be active citizens, faithful citizens, uh, people who know their elected officials, people who actually are willing to serve in public office, which is a high calling. It's often denigrated. Uh, people often make mistakes in those roles, but you know, good people need to keep coming forward to serve. So sometimes people are going to be called to that and, and be able to do that, and they need to be willing to do that. We all need to be active, you know, both whether it's in parish groups, uh, legislative advocacy networks like the one that we operate here at the conference. Uh, there are a lot of ways to stay involved, um, even beyond the election. Uh, I mentioned a little bit about just polemics and the polarization that happens. I think I know uh, it's sort of it can be challenging. I know a lot of people feel really confident in, in the candidate that they're supporting, and, and that's great. But there are others who, who would just as soon try to avoid some of the, the difficult conversations and polarization. But it's important to be able to talk about these things. And I think that, you know, as we try to address that and respond to it as good, faithful, honest, direct, you know, please God, Catholics, um, it's good to be the change you want to see. So it's often, I think, good to be a good listener. Like, oh, so who are you supporting in this in this race um, and why and ask people why it's like then you might be able to respond well have you considered this this or this um, in, in, in a charitable way um, and just to make sure that there's some some dialogue happening I think try to understand where people are coming from um, it's, it's okay to remember to that sometimes we disagree and that's okay we can agree to disagree um, and, and just bring out the best of ourselves as listeners, as people who are trying to engage in civil dialogue. I think it's good to talk about, uh, for instance, USCCB's initiative, uh, the Civilize It campaign that's calling people, like whether they're candidates or others, just to commit to being civil in their political discourse. It's sort of surprising that we have to do that, but I think it is also timely. It's a good reminder. That's how we want to be. Uh, we want to to be the change that we want to see. So, Michelle, uh, you have a special role at our conference in responding to lots of email and used to get a lot of phone calls. Um, we put something out around voting and around the, this time of year. Um, you hear from different sides of the, of the spectrum. Are there any particular stories that stand out in your experience working at the conference on this topic? Yeah, um, actually, I think there is, Michael. I think it's something that's very illustrative of um, what we hear and how differently one person um, to the next may approach politics is a few years ago, the bishops put out a voting statement. It was, you know, a simple statement just summarizing their forming consciences for faithful citizenship document. It specifically stated that the bishops do not endorse or support any candidate and just encouraged Catholics to form their consciences. Well, the statement went into bulletins and in parishes on Sunday and um, then Monday morning, you know, I, I, I get a phone call from a parishioner who, you know, wasn't happy with the statement. They didn't like the statement. They could not believe that the bishops endorsed candidate A. Okay, well, they got that wrong because the statement doesn't endorse a candidate. 
I hang up with that person. The very next phone call is somebody else who saw the statement in their parish bulletin. They also didn't like the statement. They were upset because they couldn't believe that the bishops endorsed candidate B. Well, they both read this very same statement, but they both interpreted it very differently. And sadly, they interpreted it incorrectly because the statement, you know, as I said, it specifically said the bishops do not support candidates. So I think that just kind of goes to show that we need to be honest with ourselves when we engage in political life. How are, how are we interpreting what we hear or what we read? Um, are we only seeking sources of information that confirm um, our already established opinions or positions? You know, are we giving others the benefit of the doubt? Are we uh, assuming their motives are bad um, instead of good? And are our hearts and minds open? Good point, Michelle. You know, it's so, it's so hard, you know, when we go into this entering into forming our consciences, we need to do so with honesty and humility. You know, we may be stretched and we may be encouraged, you know, good preaching afflicts the comfortable and comforts the afflicted. And I think in a lot of ways, you know, this document and our bishops are calling us to a vision for political activity that is really transcending political boundaries. And so if we want to just fall back on you know, the platform of one party or the other, um, we're not really responding uh, with fidelity to that invitation to be, uh, to be really authentically Catholic and, and living on our, our, our roles in political life. So nice points you make. Right. I think it's also remembering that the church is a community of faith. Um, it's not an interest group. It's not a voting block. It's our faith that unites us. It's not our votes. And um, our faith should be influencing our politics, not the other way around. I think something I find particularly disheartening, Michael, is sometimes we see people who would politicize our faith um, and that we should not use our faith to invoke partisanship or worse, use politics to push those who don't align themselves with one political party or another out of the church. Um, you know, there's no political test to be a Catholic. Um, when we show up at mass, we're not asked at the door, you know, what party do you belong to and who are you voting for? Um, there's really no Catholic party. Catholics belong to all major political parties. And as our bishops tell us um, in faithful citizenship, um, if uh, the party in which we belong fails to meet our expectations on an issue, we should work to transform the party and not let it transform us um, in a way that we would neglect or deny fundamental truths. Great point, Michelle. I wholeheartedly agree. Well, are there any final points that you'd like to make, Michael? Or maybe you could direct us to some resources that are available for Catholics in Florida. Sure. You know, earlier in the podcast, you alluded to the Election Political Activities Guide that's available on our website. It's uh, really helpful for pastors and people who work in parishes or people who are active in their parish and want to see how they can be involved. It offers some really concrete, helpful guidance in that respect. I would say, too, you know, on our website, we have undertaken a candidate questionnaire project this year. Uh, we've solicited responses to a questionnaire from all candidates for state and federal office. 
um, which is a good place for people to go to be informed about issues that we see coming up in the next two years on which people are going to be probably taking votes. That's a really helpful resource. I think also we've got a presidential candidate comparison document that we developed in collaboration with several other state Catholic conferences that can help people understand uh, where the two major party candidates are on a range of issues uh, that are really important, including some intrinsic evils and other ones that are equal, that are also extremely important that we cannot dismiss um, as we go forward. So my last observation, Michelle, would be having survived uh, and lived through and maybe even thrived through a lot of elections, working at a state Catholic conference, working for the bishops, pointing to what's laid out in this document, Forming Conscience or Faithful Citizenship. I just feel like it's a really rich document. I think it, it lays out a vision for um, for Catholics as to how we should participate in public life and how we should vote, things we should consider, and how our country can really flourish, you know, through the work, through the good work of public servants uh, in ways that we can be involved. It's a beautiful vision for flourishing. So I know that uh, it can be a challenge to find time to take on some additional reading. It's nice if you can hear someone talking about it. Or to find somebody, you know, whether it's your spouse you know, around the dinner table or some some friends in the faith, you know, just to reflect together on what's in this document. But it really is, it's very rich. And I just commend it to anybody listening who wants to know more about what the bishops have been saying for really, really for many years about how to be engaged in, um, in our political process and to be good, faithful citizens with well-formed consciences. Right. And I think also that goes for those who are not citizens. Participation in the public square is not only the duty of citizens. I think anyone who lives in our country has a responsibility to participate in political life, um, maybe not by voting, but certainly in working to ensure that the voices of the most vulnerable are heard and that human life and dignity are protected and promoted. All of us can participate in discussions and add our own unique perspective to the issues, including our youth, um, who are future leaders. And finally, all of us can and should pray for our country and our civic leaders and for a safe and fair election. So uh, thank you, Michael, for all that you have shared with us on this important and timely topic. We hope it's been helpful for our listeners as they engage this election season and endeavor to practice faithful citizenship. 